Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. I want to continue the subject that I started last week. Now, I had full intentions of dealing with this one Sunday and being done, uh, but I never got through all that I wanted to share with you about this particular topic. So I wanted to come back today and try to wrap this up and, and finish this thought process on all that took place with the Supreme Court ruling uh, back on, what was the date? Back on uh, the 19th of June, okay? So... But the angle that I want to approach this is on how we as a church should respond to issues such as this. Now, there'll be other shattering issues, I'm sure, that will come to the forefront as well. This was a big one um, because it has to do with marriage and, and, and what have you. So, but we are got to be held responsible for how we respond to that, Okay. So last week I started by just giving you a few thoughts, a few principles, if you will, to frame the subject on how we are to handle this and how we as believers in Christ, and more importantly, just individuals that submit to the authority of the, of the Scripture. And guys, I want to say that again. We are individuals who submit to the authority of the Scripture. Let me say that again. We are individuals who submit to the authority of the Scripture, right? As I, said, as I told you last week, a lot of folks since that event took place on Friday the 19th of June of this year, I received tremendous amount of emails, text messages, phone calls. Pastor, how do you respond to that? What do you think about that? Well, let me say first of all, and I said this last week, and I want to reiterate it and say it again this week. It doesn't matter what I think about it. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about this subject. And I want to be as polite and as kind as I can be, but I must tell you, it doesn't even matter what you think about this subject. All that really matters is what God says about this subject. Okay? Now, we can either choose to accept it, or we can get a pair of scissors and we can cut that piece of Scripture out and we can throw it away, but then you completely have thrown away all the authority of Scripture whatsoever because we're not free to pick and choose what parts of Scripture we would like to accept. Are you with me? As the old country preachers back home used to say it, we believe this is God's inspired word from kiver to kiver. For those that have a hard time comprehending that, that's cover to cover. Okay? This is the word of God. And uh, so we must stand on it, we must submit to it, and it must be the, let me put it another word, it must be the final authority, okay? We can't put it up there and, and say, well, let's take it to court and let's, let's see where it stands. No, 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 no. It is the final authority in all of life, in our life included, and especially our church. This is what we have built this church on since my wife and I moved here in 1999 to start this work. Uh, this is what we built this church on. 
underneath this pulpit, whenever we built this building here, underneath this pulpit, we had a ceremony where we cut back a portion of this platform. We built a shelf. I took one of my study Bibles from my office and brought it in here. Remember that little ceremony we had here? And we placed a copy of God's Word right under this podium. This church is built literally on the Word of God. The foundations that were poured, I spent the entire Saturday out here after the foundations were poured, and I wrote Scripture on every foundation there was that was laid with a spray can of paint. There's Scripture painted all around the perimeters of this facility. The cornerstone, whenever we poured, the major cornerstone, they dug down, I don't know, six or eight, ten feet down, and we poured concrete down in there. The day we were pouring the cornerstone for the front right corner of this building, I was out here when the concrete truck was there. I went to my office and got another one of my Bibles and brought it out here and put it, buried it in the concrete of the cornerstone of the front part of this church. As you come into this facility, when all the metal studs were up, I spent another day out here with a Sharpie. And I just went around different areas that I knew were designated for children's, for my study, for the auditorium, for entering in for worship. And I wrote scripture on all many of these metal studs all around here. You pull the drywall off, you're going to see scripture with a Sharpie on those metal studs. I said all that to say this. We cannot shun the Word of God, because the very building that we are in is embraced, if you will, with the Scripture, with the Word of God. What we must be careful with is how we respond. Now, I just want to say that I have been very saddened with the response of Christians primarily on social media with how they have handled this. You see, it's one thing to have the truth. But I think oftentimes, sometimes we sin in the way we deliver the truth. We're not in an argument. We're not fighting. We're not fussing. We're just declaring what God's Word says. And there's a proper way, a right and a wrong way, That we should carry ourselves whenever we're sharing the truth of God's Word. So I've been saddened with what I've seen in the response, primarily on social media, with how we've stooped, we almost have cheapened the gospel, if you will, with the way that we have presented the truth of the Word of God. So that's my thought process. As your pastor of Victory Church, how should we, as believers in the Word of God, respond to the ruling of same-sex marriage by the Supreme Court of the United States. What is our response to that, and how do we respond to that? I did not want to take time out and preach an entire sermon on whether homosexuality was sin, because there are six major passages in the Word of God that declare that that lifestyle is a sinful lifestyle. But I want you to understand it's not the unpardonable sin. Hello? I want you to understand it's not a sin that cannot be broken by the power of the gospel. It's a sin just like any other sin. It's it's a sin that I think a lot of times brings possibly some more significant consequences. But nonetheless, it's a sin. Okay? It's a sin like drunkenness is a sin. It's a sin like having sex outside of marriage is is a sin. 
Hello? It's a sin like fornicating is a sin. It's a sin like divorce is a sin. You say divorce is a sin? Yeah, divorce is a sin. Now, can you get repentance of that and forgiveness from that? Sure you can. And you move on and you do what God's called you to do. But we've got to recognize that all of these things are sin. And by the way, guys, there are none without sin. The Scripture says, no, not one. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? So none of us are without sin. And so we've got to just recognize when there is sin, we must repent of it. Now, last week, just very quickly, by way of introduction to this message today, let me review with you real quick. I'm just going to hit them and go how I tried to frame these foundational thoughts for framing this topic, and then I want to pick up where I left off last week. Last week I talked to you and I tried to share four or five different ideas, if you will, or thoughts or principles about this whole subject to put it in context of what I wanted to share on how the church should respond. Last week I shared with you, number one, that no human court has the authority to redefine marriage, and primarily because no human court defined marriage. Hello? Marriage is of God between one man and one woman, and that's not what I think. It's what the Scripture says, right? The authority of the Scripture. So no human court has the authority to redefine marriage because no human court defined marriage. The second thing I talked about, by the way, if you want to hear all of this, you can go back and listen on our podcast. I believe it's posted and it's out there. Patty's shaking her head, yes. It's posted, it's out there. You can go back and listen to last Sunday's message. The second thing I shared with you last week is that the Word of God has pronounced judgment on any nation that would reclassify evil as good, darkness as light, and bitter as sweet, according to Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 20. The third thing I shared with you last week is that this ruling proves that we... Christians are clearly in the minority and we're people set apart. But guys, the Bible's been teaching that all along. We've been blessed in this nation called America that we have lived in and we've seen a tremendous amount of freedom and blessing with the gospel and the church. But friends, things are about to change. Matter of fact, things have already changed. We need to understand that. We are no longer the majority. We are certainly the minority. But Scripture has been declaring that for quite a long time. The fourth thing I shared with you last week is that religious liberty is nowhere promised in the Bible. For you to have freedom of religion, it's really nowhere promised in God's Word. Matter of fact, you go back and you study church history, and especially the early church, and you will find that the early church thrived not when it had freedom of religion. It thrived when it was persecuted. I think the church, you go back and you see the church was at its strongest when it was under tremendous persecution, right? Because it kind of weeded out those that are really following Christ and those that are kind of showing up to maybe get something from Him, right? So anyhow, I want you to understand that religious liberty is nowhere promised in the Bible. Let me give you number five, and I'm going to pick up with this one. That's where I got to last week. Let me start now with this one. Number five is this. And I think it's one of the most important ones that I want to share with you. Marriage is not the ultimate battleground. Now stay with me. This whole thing that took place on June the 19th with the ruling of the Supreme Court, that is not the ultimate battleground for the church. Marriage is not the ultimate battleground, and our enemies are not the men and women who seek to destroy it. Then what is the battleground for the church? 
the battleground for the church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where our battleground is. And what we're seeing are the effects and the results of people who are living their life without the gospel of Jesus Christ impacting their life. I want you to turn to a passage of Scripture. Unfortunately, I do not have it on the slides, Phil. So, uh, but I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, this is our, our resurrection proof passage, okay? And it goes and it talks about after Jesus had died and he was crucified and he was buried, how he rose again. And then he, he talks about all these hundreds. By the way, did you realize that? The resurrection of Jesus was seen by literally hundreds, if not thousands of people. It wasn't just the eyewitness of one or two or six or twelve. Hundreds of folks he saw them. And we find that proof text in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But the first part of it I want you to get a hold of. Okay? Because this, my friends, is where the battleground is. Listen, the battleground for us as believers is not with the homosexual lifestyle. It's not with the drunkards. It's not with the fornicators. It's not with those that steal and those that are thieves. Listen, all of those are sin. Right? Why does a dog bark? Come on, talk to me. A dog barks, why? Because he's a dog. Right? Right? A cat meows because he's what? cat. You know when goats are around because you can hear a goat doing what? Give me the sound. Talk to me. Yeah, there you go. Right? That identifies a goat. All of these things that I've just listened. By the way, there are many more. They are sins. But who does those things? Sinners. Right? Sinners sin because they are sinners. Now, our battleground is not to go pick and choose which sin we want to get down and fight in. No. The battleground for the church always has been and always will be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, where I really get ticked is when I see people messing with the gospel, telling people you can be saved other ways than what the gospel declares for our salvation. That's when I will have some righteous indignation come up, if you will. Right? Because it's deceiving many people thinking they could be saved some other way than Jesus. By the way, I'm going to get to this Corinthians passage. Good job, brother. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But you remember in, in John chapter 14 and, and verse number 6? Remember what Jesus said? No man cometh to the Father except by me. Right? No man. So here's where I want to get. This is where the battleground is, okay? This is where we need to dig in. This is where we really need to say, okay, this is what we as a church and what we as individuals, this is where we really need to dig our heels in the ground and take our stand. Not on every little sin that's out there, because this covers all of them. Okay? So where is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to look at verse number 1. Paul says, now brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel that I preach to you. You, he says now, he's, he's talking to the church at Corinth. This is the gospel that I declared to you. And he says, I want to clarify it. Okay? You received it and have taken your stand on it. And as I look over Victory Church, I look over many that I know personally, you have received this gospel. And you've taken your stand. And we need to take our stand on the gospel. Verse 2. You are also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaim to you. 
unless you believe for no purpose. For I passed on to you, and most important, what I also received, that Christ died. Get this now. Here's the gospel. He said, this is the gospel I declared to you. This is the gospel you received. This is the gospel you took a stand on. This is the gospel that saved you. Can I get amen, church? What is that gospel? What is that gospel? He defines it for us here in the latter part of verse 3. That Christ, the Messiah, the sinless Son of God, the Lamb without spot, without blemish, Christ, what did Christ do? He died. What did He die for? For our sins. All of those things that I've just kind of laid out here in front of the stage for you. So don't get down there and fight those little battles. All that battles, all that is is a distraction from Satan himself to get our eyes off of the gospel and get down here and make a fool of ourselves in these little battles. Get back up here and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. That all of that is sin, right? But Christ loved us so much that He died on the cross for our sins. Does that know what the Scripture says? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. It doesn't stop there. That He was buried and that He raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Friends, that's the gospel. That's where the battleground is. That's where we need to let some righteous indignation come up whenever we find people trying to redefine the gospel. Are you with me, church? If we can get folks, if we can get folks to understand that Jesus loves you so much that He died on the cross for you and that He was buried and that He rose again according to the Scriptures, why do you think, why do you think Paul put so much authority on the Scriptures? Because it is the final authority in all of our life, right? That Christ loved us, that He died for us, that He was buried, and that He rose again victoriously the third day. Friends, that is the gospel, and that's where we as a church need to take our stand. And then what we need to let folks know, that there is an invincible amount of power of forgiveness that's available for anyone who would just come and kneel down at the foot of the cross. And by the way, guys, all of us have to do that in order to get to heaven. So we see that marriage is not the ultimate battleground. Guys, please understand that. Because after this sin passes and the news quits talking about it and the church forgets about it, there's going to be another big sin that's going to come up that the, that the culture is going to put their seal of approval and acceptance upon. I don't know where this is going to lead. There's already, as a result of this, court cases coming up, and I'm not even going to start unpacking those, that just absolutely blows your mind at why someone would want the, to be legally accepted to do some of these different things that are already taking place. So listen, get ready for the shock and awe. It's coming. Why? Because our society and our culture have been blinded, as I shared with you last week, by Satan himself. And we have watered down the gospel and we've gotten away from preaching the gospel and churches no longer preach the gospel. And we say, just bring your good looks and your tithe and, and let's come in here and let's have a feel-good service and all feel good and go home. Let me tell you, I'm nothing wrong with coming in and having a good time in the Lord. I love to have a good time, right? I like to laugh. I like to joke. I like to smile. I love to worship. I love to sing. I'm an enthusiastic guy. I mean, that's just kind of who I am. I enjoy all of that, but I enjoy all of that because on November the 13th, 1977 at Penelope Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina, I realized that I was a sinner that needed to be saved. 
and I knelt at the foot of the cross. And that's where it kind of all started in my life as far as the gospel is concerned. So church realized marriage is not the ultimate battleground. What is the battleground? Talk to me. The gospel. That's the battleground where we need to make our stand. Let me give you number six is this one. Now, I'm not saying we accept all of that. Please don't, don't leave here and say, oh, he said accept it. No, I didn't say that. I said it's all sin. We need to repent of it. You understand that, right? Shake your head so I can move on, right? Okay. Number six. Get this one. This is a good one. Romans 1 clearly identifies the evidence of the wrath of God on a nation. Now, here I want you to see something about Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1, and I'm not going to go and unpack the whole thing for you, but there is a progression. The progression is where they held the truth, and then they suppressed the truth, and then they changed the truth into a lie, and God turned them over to a reprobate mind. The, the progression is where they loved God, they got shallow with God, they turned out to be God-haters. They had the gospel, they suppressed the gospel, they changed the gospel, and now they have no gospel. So, so, so you, you can speak, something like that. You understand what I'm saying? You can see that progression in Romans chapter number 1. And also in Romans chapter 1, you can see the progression of when there was sexual immorality followed by homosexual immorality culminated in a reprobate mind in Romans chapter number 1. The most recent steps reminds us that God's wrath is unfolding right before our eyes. Let me tell you why. Because His wrath is when He turns them over to a reprobate mind, an immoral mind. And we see that everywhere. Matter of fact, as you look around in our culture, in our, our world today, you'll find reprobate, immoral minds at every level of leadership. You'll find it in the Supreme Court. You'll find it in the, in the cabinet, in, in the presidency. You'll find it in legislature. You'll find it in the press. You'll find it in culture. You'll find it in city halls. You'll find it in county boards. You'll, you'll, you'll just find it everywhere. Okay? So it doesn't matter what office you have. The fact is you see it everywhere. Which to me, I think, is another sign that God's wrath is being turned and, and unleashed, if you will. But get this now. Here's what I w- really want you to get a hold of, and I'm not sure if I have a slide for this, but I want you to get this. If our diagnosis is in line with Romans chapter number 1, then, friends, I want to remind you that the prescription is there as well. The diagnosis is there about this sexual immorality and homosexual being that lifestyle, a sinful lifestyle, that's, the di- that's just the diagnosis. And so it's really unfair for you to point your finger at somebody and say, that's a sin, and get hateful and arrogant about it. When you should lovingly reveal to those individuals, listen, that lifestyle is a sin. Now let me give you the medicine for it. What is the medicine for it? It's found in Romans chapter 1 as well. But nobody's going there. I don't see the medicine being proclaimed. The medicine is Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16. Go there and read that. Romans chapter 1. Turn there in your Bibles. I want you to get this. This is the medicine. This is the prescription. If I'm going to write a prescription out for you, it has to be Romans 1 and verse number 16. It says, for I am not. Everybody say not. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Friends, that's the prescription. The gospel, right? 
We want to jump over to the end of the chapter and we want to harp on all of this. And yes, it's very much revealed that this is Scripture and this is sinful. And you'll see in verse number 18 where they suppress the truth. And you'll see in verse number 25 where they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And you'll see down in verse number 26 where God delivered them over. And then you get down to verse number 29 where they become God-haters. But it all started when they had the truth. They suppressed the truth. They changed the truth. And now they've been turned over to a reprobate or an immoral mind. So what is the prescription? What's the medicine for all of that? It's in verse number 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's God's power for salvation. Listen, guys. God's power for salvation is not you walking in the church door and sitting in a church service on Sunday morning at 1030. God's power for salvation is not you being baptized. It's not you taking communion. It's not you turning over a new leaf and trying to do good works. It's not you trying to be a good person. God's power for salvation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you realize that I have sinned, He is sinless. I should have been on the cross. He died in my place. All of our sins were placed upon Him. He was buried. He rose victorious on the third day. He's ascended to the right hand of God the Father. There He's making intercession for you and for me and now when God the Father because I repented of my sins and I've asked for His forgiveness I'm now clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ now when God the Father looks over the portals of heaven He only sees two men He sees you either in Adam or in Jesus Christ He sees you clothed in the flesh unrepented or He sees you repented clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ somebody say amen I'm going to have a corny up here if I don't stop hello listen guys The power is in the gospel. The prescription is in the gospel. So therefore, I think it's our divine duty as a church and as Christ followers and as believers to identify sin as sin, but then look beyond the sin and look into the eyes and the heart of the individuals that are committing that and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, you you haven't gone too far that the love of God cannot bring you back. right? I believe, now I believe there is the unpardonable sin, okay? And I'm going to, that's a whole other sermon. I believe there is a final destination or a final deadline, if you will. But let me tell you this. I do believe that all sin that I've mentioned this morning, and primarily the sin of homosexuality, that can be a sin that they can get forgiveness for. Just like a lot of our sins that we've had to ask forgiveness for. Are you with me, church? We've been distracted. Satan's, what I've seen over the past several weeks is Satan putting up a smoke screen and distracting us from sharing the gospel. We're getting down in here and we're fighting, having these debates. It's sin. Back away from it. Share the gospel. Okay? So let's move a little further. Let me give you another one here, number seven. This is the last one, then we're going to get into some practical things here I want to share with you. I believe as your pastor, I have a role. And part of my role is this. My greatest contribution to you is to do this. It's to show patience and a steady confidence in two things. Patience and a steady confidence in two things. Number one is the sovereignty of our God. As I shared with you last week, on June the 19th, our God was not defeated on that day. He's still sovereign. He's still 
in control. And I want to declare to you, and I want to demonstrate to you, and I want to show you and declare to you the sovereignty of God. But the second thing that I must show patience in and a steady diet in is the authority of the Word of God. Because, guys, listen, you take this away, you remove the Bible out of the pulpit, you remove the Scriptures out of the sermons, and it's nothing but a fiction, novel, feel-good story. Are you with me? We have nothing else to declare other than the Word of God. And so what I'm going to try my best moving forward, and I've tried my best in the past, is try to demonstrate and declare and show patience and a steady confidence in two things, the sovereignty of our God and the authority of our Scriptures. So let me give you a couple things here. And this is a sidebar that I want to just share with you. Do you realize, first of all, that the church has always been countercultural? The church has always been countercultural. You see, I believe our culture, as I shared last week, is, is moving from this Christian culture to a postmodern, post-Christian culture right before our eyes. But I want you to understand that being a countercultural church usually helps us more than it hurts us. Okay? The second thing I want you to see is this. The early church never looked to government for guidance. And it seems like we have, we're living in a society and a culture today that's always looking to our government for the answers. The early church didn't look to the government. They didn't look to the government for their guidance. Because we look to the Scripture. Right? Our needs being met don't come from the government. They come from the Scripture. They come from Christ. Now, he may use whatever he's going to use to help meet our needs, but we must look to Christ. We must look to the Scripture. And by the way, guys, whenever we have a government that does not embrace our values as a Christian and our perspective as Christians and as believers, I just want to encourage you, you're in pretty good company. Did you hear what I said? Whenever we have a government who does not embrace our values or our principles, then I want to encourage you, we are in pretty good company. The early church, the early Christ followers of Jesus were certainly not embraced by the government and looking to them to change. You see, Jesus, here's something I want you to get. Two things I want to declare here and I'm going to move on. Two things is this. Jesus spent about zero time asking the government to change during his ministry. As a matter of fact, a lot of people came to Jesus and said, hey, will you change the government? He said, my kingdom's not of this world. Are you with me? Jesus wasn't lobbying for more laws of the land to be changed. He was just declaring the gospel. Right? You find the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul appeared before, or appeared before government officials regularly, but not once did he ask them to change the laws. He did, however, invite them to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while he was handcuffed and locked away in prison, he wrote some of his most powerful letters. So I want you to understand that the early church never looked to the government for guidance, and we don't need to look to the government for guidance. We need to look here in the Word of God for our guidance. So let me give you three things. How should the church respond? All that was kind of introduction, okay? Here's the, here's the message. How should we respond? Three things we should do. Number one is this. We must pray for guidance. Pray for guidance. Let me ask you this. 
And I believe that Christians don't pray enough, especially over difficult issues. Before we get in all of those social media debates, are we really spending time in prayer, prayer asking how we should respond to some of these things? Or are we responding in the flesh with righteous indignation on the authority of the Word of God? But are we really praying? I'll be honest with you. And I'm, this is confession. This came out on 19th of June. That following Sunday, I already had a Gideon speaker lined up to come and speak, and I've already went over with him kind of what the service would be, and I gave him my time slot because I wanted you guys to understand and know what the Gideon ministry was all about. And So he took my time slot on that day. I could not talk about what took place on that Friday before. Then we went into vacation Bible school. The following Sunday, guess what we had? Our big commencement service. We had the kids up here doing their vacation Bible school thing and and all all the big church picnic and all of that. I did not have a time slot to declare or to say anything about this. It wasn't until last Sunday that I had an opportunity to even speak to what took place on the 19th of June. I thank God that I wasn't able to speak on that following Sunday. I really do, and here's why. Because I was angry. I was so angry. I was so upset. And I'll be honest with you, I got blindsided by Satan, if you will. And I got my eyes off of Christ. And I got my eyes on the issue. And I'm fighting against that. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't make a stand on some of these things. I'm not saying that at all. I'm talking about in the manner that I would have made that stand would have not been. My heart wasn't right. I needed that time to search the Scriptures. I needed that time to spend with God. I needed that time for the Lord to adjust my spirit and my tone in dealing with this. That's just one illustration. So, guys, what should we do? We should pray. And I know for some that's going to seem trivial. It's going to seem trite, if you will. But that's probably the most important thing we could do. Pray and ask for God's guidance. How should I respond to this issue? How should I talk to this individual about this particular issue? Guys, we must spend time praying about some of these things. Number two is this. Love your neighbors. Those that agree and those that disagree. Everybody you come in contact with and their heart is beating, that's your neighbor. And we're to show love to them. Regardless if they agree with us or not. Right? We are to love them. The Lord said the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like unto the first. What? Love your neighbor as yourself. So pray and then we're to love. I got a quote here by Warren Wiersbe. I want you to get this. Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Let me say that again. Truth without love is brutality. Have you ever been exposed to some of that? Some of the truth, but there's no love, and how brutal that is. We probably all have experienced that to some degree. But then he flipped over to the opposite, and he said, love without truth is hypocrisy. Because if you truly love someone, you must declare to them the truth. If you truly love someone, you must tell them what the truth of God's Word has to say about whatever the issues may be. And so just to love love them without declaring the truth is hypocrisy. So what a great statement that is. I love that quote because it emphasizes both the importance of truth and the importance of love. So guys, we've got to learn how to communicate the truth in a way that it can be received. Then the third thing that we must do as a church, so we're going to pray and we're going to love our neighbors. 
We're going to share with them, because we love them, we're going to share the truth of the gospel. Okay? The third thing is this. We're going to show and share the love of Jesus. I mean, we're going to, we're going to be there. Have you reached out across, I don't know, the way and reached out to non-Christians, people that you knew were living a lifestyle completely different to you? Let me ask you, what have you done for them lately? Have you shown them love lately? Have you called out to them? Have you touched base with them? Have you reached out? Have you ministered to them? Have you done some good deeds for them just to be the hands and feet of Jesus and show them you love them? Are you living out the gospel in front of them? And then when opportunity presents itself, are you speaking the truth of the gospel to them? Are you having a conversation? Now, guys, I was raised, I was raised, I was just raised in the church, just rare back and just preaching hard. I mean, if I would bring in some of those preachers I was raised up under and brought them in here to preach, you guys would be scared absolutely to death. You, you would be. I mean, you would be. Now, those guys were preaching the truth. But there was one thing that I found that was lacking in some was love. Now, they were preaching the truth, but it really wasn't mingled with love. So Therefore, sometimes it's hard to be received that way, right? So I want us to show and share the love of Jesus. And I want us to be proactive in this thing. And let's go out and let's pray, right? And let's love intentionally. And then let's show and share the love. Share the gospel. Remember, the battleground's the gospel. Are you with me, church? So therefore, here's what I want you to get. The church now must remain on mission, clearly defining our principles and our purposes. Our focus is to remain on mission. What's the mission? Talk to me. It starts with a G. The gospel. Sharing the gospel. Living out the gospel. Demonstrating the gospel. Okay? That's what we must do. Our focus is missional. That we love God, that we love others, and we demonstrate and share the gospel. The good news is this, that God sent His Son, lived a perfect life. He died, was buried, rose again, offers forgiveness. We repent, we be born again and saved, living for Him. That's the mission, guys. There's a lot of different ways we live that out and carry that out and show that and share that. But that is the mission for the church. Pray, love, show and share the gospel, the love of Christ. So that's what we do moving forward. Some folks have asked me, were you surprised by this? And I really wasn't surprised. I was saddened. I was saddened that this has been normalized, if you will, and institutionalized, if you will. I'm saddened by that. But I'm not shocked, nor am I surprised. But we've got to be careful how we respond. Are you with me, church? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to love. And then I want you to demonstrate the gospel through show and tell with everyone you come in contact with. And if we will focus on the gospel and let the power of the gospel break down the strongholds in people's lives, our mission is to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit and God the Father and God the Son will take care of the rest We share the gospel. We share the gospel. We share the gospel. We pray. We show love. We demonstrate. We share the gospel. That's what we'll do today. That's what we'll do tomorrow. That's what we'll do ten years from now. The Lord tarries. He's coming a hundred years. That's what we'll be doing a hundred years from now. 
Because that's the battleground, the gospel. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time together and for allowing me to get this message off my heart today. And Lord, I just pray that you would give us clarity and, and direction. Help us to be a people that pray over some of these very difficult situations that we find ourselves in. God, we need to bathe our responses and bathe our demeanors and bathe ourselves in prayer so we can respond in the correct fashion. And Father, help us to love even those that even those that may not agree with us. Help us to love. And God, help us to demonstrate the love of the gospel. If you're here this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed, and this is our invitation, and I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not even going to ask you to raise a hand, but I do want to ask you, if you will, quietly right now, just do business right now between you and the Lord. Just think about Him right now. Focus on the Lord. And ask yourself the question, is everything well with my soul? Because there's no way I can pray about this and show the love of Christ and demonstrate and live out the gospel, even share the gospel, if I don't know the Messiah of the gospel. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, let me pray with you. Why don't you pray a prayer, something like this. Just say, dear God, possibly my response to all this has been wrong and I'm aware of my sins. and, And God, I just pray you forgive me of my sins. I repent of them today. I believe you are the sinless Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, were buried, and rose again. And dear Lord, right now, I just ask you to forgive me and come into my life. Make me one of yours. Redeem me. Save me. Change me. Father, I pray for the individual that may have just prayed that prayer. God, I pray you give them reassurance. Father, I pray you help them to understand that you are a God who forgives whenever we come and repent. Give them, Lord, the assurance of their salvation even now. It's really that simple. Maybe you're here today and you say, Preacher, I've done that years ago. Well, let me ask you. Has there ever been a time in your life when you felt you were closer to the Lord than you are today? And maybe through all that's taken place over the last several weeks, you found yourself confused or maybe even angry in a sinful way. and Maybe you haven't responded properly and, and the Holy Spirit possibly has convicted you of that. Let me help you in prayer right now. This may be for all of us. Father, We stand before you today as as humans redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Paul said that he fought a battle daily with the flesh and the spiritual. And God, sometimes the flesh does rise up. And I pray, God, you convict us of those moments. And when you do convict us, I pray that we would repent and ask you to forgive us even now. Father, as you have fingered around in our heart, you have revealed areas in our life that you're not pleased with. That's called conviction. 
Father, right now we bring those things to you and ask for you to forgive us. Restore us. Restore our fellowship with you back to the place where it once was. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for 1 John 1, 9. It says if we confess our sins that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God, there's not none, not one that is perfect. There's not one that is sinless except the Son of God. We all fall short. Help us to live and camp out in 1 John 1, 9. Help us to keep a short record, short account with you. Help us to repent quickly. God, speak to our hearts. We ask for your forgiveness. Lead us now in the path of righteousness. Help us to live out our Christian walk in a way that brings honor and glory to you. Father, we want to be a church that stands on the gospel. We want to be a church that stands on the authority of the word of God. But God, that doesn't mean we have to be mean-spirited. It doesn't mean we have to be arrogant and hateful. Help us to be a loving people that doesn't apologize for what the Word says, but demonstrates Your Word in a culture that does not accept You today. May we continue to be a lighthouse at 223 Scott Troy Road to our community. May folks know this is a church that preaches, declares the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to stay strong in these days. May you receive all the honor and the glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, Fallon, Illinois. 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.